Welcome, friends, to the Miles with Marty podcast. This is home base for running community love, and we're sponsored by Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube, and your blister and chafing problems will go away. You can thank me later. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome. I've got an awesome show on tap for you today. I've got Susan Donnelly, who is a mindset coach and also an ultra runner that has finished a whole lot of 100 milers as well as a bunch of other ultra-distance races. She's got lots of great stories to share and some awesome advice. First off, I just want to do a quick recap of 2022 for Miles with Marty and for my personal uh, ultra-running year. This show started on the first week of July with an interview with my friend Hot Chocolate, also known as Lucien Boulet. It was a very popular episode because Hot Chocolate is a super energetic and personable guy that's run a lot of ultras, and uh, everybody knows him, it seems like, and uh, he's a pretty cool cat. Since then, there have been 25 more episodes. Yes, that's right. This is episode 26, which makes up for basically a half a year. I personally want to thank you, the listener, for sticking with me. I know the first few episodes I struggled to figure out how to get the quality and the recording right, but I feel like it's getting better with each episode, and I'm starting to meet a lot of really interesting people, so I look forward to sharing some really cool conversations with you this year. If you just joined this podcast late, you ought to go back and check out some of the early episodes. I talked to some really cool people just off the top of my head. Alex Nelson was one of them. He got into Western States with one ticket and uh, shared his experience at uh, qualifying for the race and then his experience at the race. And I thought that was really interesting. I had a great interview with Henry Ward from out in Arizona, who is a runner in recovery that has written a couple of books about his life and being in recovery and his Cocodona experience. He just put one out about that. I had a great chat with the legend Bob Becker about his bad water experience from this year, and he also shared a bunch of great stories from other races that he has run. There was an episode with Ben Light and Mike McKnight to discuss their FKT attempt on the Arizona Trail, which was really cool. I learned a lot talking to them. And there were lots of cool race recaps mixed in there. I remember there was River to Sea race back in August. There was Sufferfest in September, and uh, let's see, Jack's 50K with the Becoming Ultra people was really cool. And who can forget the legend Jim Miller, my good buddy, and Daytona 100 finisher, getting ready to go after his second 100 this weekend at Long Haul. I got the opportunity to meet Michael Wardian up in New York City at the marathon, and about a week later had a nice long chat with him about his running history. That was really cool. Lewis Coco, the running ninja, was a good one, talking about the Miami races. It's just been a really awesome half a year with this podcast, and I'm eternally grateful to you for encouraging me to keep going. As far as the running goes, I'm just going to blast through my race schedule for 2022 real quickly. I started the year off on New Year's Day with the New Year's Ultra down in uh, Palm Coast, Florida. It was a seven-hour race, and I think I ended up with about 25 miles. That was on a Saturday, I believe it was, and like four days later, 
I went and did the Dopey Challenge at Disney, and that's 48.6 miles in four days. About two weeks after Disney, I had a local uh, trail marathon here in Georgia at a place called Dawson Trails called the Huff and Puff Trail Marathon. I was one place away from being DFL in that race, but I'm still proud of the finish because I was running on tired legs. I went and did the Black Canyon 60K out in Arizona in February, ran the race on Sunday, and the day before I volunteered for the 100K, and it was an awesome experience. In March, it was the, supposed to be the Lake Martin 50-miler. I had battled with GI issues there and ended up dropping down at mile 32. I dropped down and took the 27-miler finish and DNF the 50-miler. I learned a valuable lesson about fueling and electrolytes and hydration that day. April, I went out to California, did the Big Sur Marathon. It was awesome. Beautiful scenery. Not easy. May was the Three Sisters Trail Festival, and I did the 24-hour race. I didn't actually go 24 hours. I stopped after achieving 100K, which I want to say was about 17 and a half hours of running time. That was a distance PR for me at the time. I got a bit of an injury at that race. I actually thought it was a stress fracture for a couple of weeks, so I was off the shelf. But I did end up getting well in time to do a 50K in South Carolina called the the Carolina Reaper Challenge. August was the River to Sea down in Florida. And then I was supposed to go back on the 1st of October and do the TikTok Ultra. But I had a wreck in September and my back was messed up. So I had to miss that race. I deferred it till this coming year. November was the New York City Marathon, my second time there. And then December was the pinnacle of it all, the Daytona 100. And that was it for me and my running, a whole lot of miles. Actually, the total mileage was a little less than last year, but the accomplishments were much more than last year. And uh, all that work that I've done with Coach Dawn has really paid off this year. Most of you who know me understand that I'm not just sharing all my races so you'll think I'm a wonderful or some badass ultra runner. It's just to inspire those who are wondering, can I do this? It is okay to dream big, work hard, and crush goals. Without any further ado, I'm going to bring to you my interview with Susan Donnelly, ultra running badass and a true mental ninja. Well, welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is a delight. Yes, ma'am. I was just kind of doing some uh, research that today. I checked out your ultra sign up and OMG, you've done a lot of races. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not exact. There's some, oddly enough, there's a race. I, there's at least one race in there that I have not done that I don't know how it got assigned to me, and um, there's some that are missing for sure. So it's definitely not exact for everybody who worries about their ultra sign-up numbers. Well, I didn't even make it all the way to the bottom. I just kept going and going and going. Wow. I I see there's a pattern there. There's a couple in there that you must like a lot, like Long Haul and uh, Havelina. You seem to have been there quite a few times. Yeah, Long Haul is part of my survive through the southeast gloomy winter strategy. I go south to Florida for sunshine in theory. Um, it 
doesn't always seem to work out that way with long haul, but at least it's warmer down there than it is here. And Aveline and my parents live out there. So I get to go visit them and do a race. Right. And that's like your sister is there too, right? Because I met her uh-huh. at Daytona. Yeah. Yeah. She's there too. So yeah, it's a, I get to kill a lot of birds with one stone right there. Got a ready-made crew there too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. They have, um, my parents are a little older now and they don't come out to the race, but it was, Havelina is such a great setup for like non-runner crew because your parents, like my parents can go out there. They know they can see when I'm coming in for, to the start finish for another loop and they can meet me and check in with me and then they can leave and have the rest of their day for, you know, while I go run another 20 miles or so. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I just signed up on the first for Havelina. So it'll be my first time to do that. Awesome. It's a, it's a fun. Yeah. I did a, uh, an episode back a couple of weeks this year before Havelina and talked to some people that were regulars uh, and they sold me on it big time. And so I had to, I, I, I said, I actually set my alarm for 3 a.m. <laughs> I wanted to make sure it didn't sell out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been, I, the, been the victim of sellouts a few times. And so I wanted to make sure. Well, and I have too. And actually there's, there's a couple of races not that Havelina needs that help, but there's been a couple of races um, like No Business 100 in Tennessee, right around the corner from me. I can actually sleep at home for that one, um, and it is stunningly gorgeous. And I've I've gone ahead and shared it with everybody and recommended it, and now it sells out. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm kind of a victim of my own enthusiasm there. Yeah, I guess maybe that's uh, becoming a problem with me. I'm gonna have to quit uh, doing all my positive <laughs> race recaps. And- Well, you know, I talked to Bob Becker Mm -hmm. because I I had in my mind that I thought I wanted to do the Keys. Uh And I I talked to him. I interviewed him after his Badwater race this year. Yeah. uh, I had told him, you know, that I was signed up for Daytona for my first hundred and was interested in the Keys. And he said, I said, I didn't want it to sell out, but I wanted to see how my body, you know, my 54 year old or 57 year old body responded to that hundred miles. Yeah, I signed up for a second one, and he said, "Well, I'll I'll do this. I will guarantee you a spot in the keys. Oh no, if, if you wait." And so <laughs> I waited about a week and a half after Daytona and uh, signed up for it because right after Daytona, I said, "You know, I'm definitely going to do another hundred, but I don't know if I'm going to do another pavement hundred. Yeah, so after my feet got to feeling good, you know, again, I quickly forgot about that foot that pain, <laughs> and so I, it had us. There was a spot available in the Keys, but the problem is, is you know, he has staggered starts. Mm-hmm. So I got a 7.15 start, and so I'm not going to get ahead of that heat too too far. It'll probably already be hot at 7.15 there. <laughs> There's got to be an advantage to that, though. You can get a little bit extra sleep, I guess. That's Maybe. right. Yeah. Look at the bright side, right? Yeah. Hey, There's always a trade-off. Hey, yeah. Good call. Well, let's talk about Susan then. So. I don't, All right. I don't even know where to start. Uh, I guess maybe, you know, just tell us a little bit about what, you know, I made it, I think, all the way back to 2011 and you were running ultras. And so I'm not sure exactly when you started or, you know, what you did and if you ran in school and that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and make this quick because I've been at it. I've been running for a long time. I'm, I'm 59 and probably three quarters or seven eighths. And, um, so I've been running along pretty much all my life in one way, shape or form. 
Um, and I've been running ultras. I'll go ahead and tell you now. I've been running ultras since um, sometimes I have to look at my spreadsheet to get the year right. But it's 19, I think 1997, 96 or 97. I started running ultras. So I've been at this like over 20 years. And that's I, that's a beautiful thing. But I did start running. People ask me. And I did start running in junior high school, you know, when about the time everybody's trying to kind of find all the kids are trying to find themselves. I did not, I didn't see anything anywhere I really fit. And I remember walking out of the main building one day and seeing um, kid, my fellow students, um, some of them running around a track. And I immediately, I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. I love running. I ran around the neighborhood as a kid and I thought, that's it. That's what I want to do. And so I did. And I had a great coach to start with in junior high school. Um, he was fabulous and really set me off on the right foot. Um, did not tell me I was doing it wrong or anything like that. And it was all about enthusiasm and encouraging us. Um, and I got into high school and I signed up for track and cross country like I had done in junior high. And I was definitely not the fastest kid on the team. I was uh, at best kind of mid-pack, um, kind of back of the pack a little bit. Um, and I just tried my hardest, but well, slow. Um, and like in track, the longest distance we females could do when I was there was one mile. The guys had just been given a two-mile event. And I wanted so badly to do that. And we weren't allowed to do it. And we also had to do a shorter distance in cross country that just killed me. I, I did not excel at that, even though I adored cross country. And um, at the end of my time at high school, my coach, um, we did not necessarily see eye to eye. And my coach pulled me aside unasked and told me not to try out for the college team. Um, and I was really devastated. I hadn't even thought about it. And that's really kind of, you know, I thought, am I really that bad? Um, you know, that's, that's depressing. And, and this was in the, this was like 81. This was really before there were a lot of road races out there. You, this is a totally different era, no internet, not a lot of road races. And so I found a couple of, I took a couple of years off in college because I just, there just wasn't, it just wasn't something people did. You didn't see people running on the roads. It's It was a totally different time. And I'm in the Southeast. And so you really didn't see like women out running on the road somewhere. You just didn't see that. Um, and so uh, in college, I took a couple of years off and then I, I was so depressed. I remember near the end of my stay in college, I thought, you know, well, what was I doing the last time I was happy? And the, the first thing that popped into my mind was running. So I went and ran a mile and it about killed me. And um, I thought, that was awesome. I'm going to go do it again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got up to the point where I ran nine miles like every day and that felt good. And I, that's just what I did. No races really. And then I kind of started doing a few races. And then in college, before I graduated, I ran across at the newsstand. You got to remember we had newsstands. We didn't have internet. We had, you got newspapers and magazines. And I saw, I was kind of just skimming through the titles and what was available. And I saw this little black and white kind of homemade magazine called something like trail wild running, I think is what it was. And I thought, Oh, the, those two words together, just like energized. It just was like a little <laughs> lightning bolt. And I picked it up and I thumbed through it. And honestly, I was dumbfounded. There was this thing called trail running. I did not 
the idea, I mean, in my experience, you ran track and cross country in school, and then you kind of just didn't run after that. Not to mention, you didn't go out and run trails, like especially as a female. <laughs> and so the idea just absolutely stunned me. The concept was totally new. and I was so excited about it. And then I flipped another page and there, I still remember, there's a black and white photo of Anne Trayson topping out over a climb at Western States. And there was a big rock and her arm was out on the rock. And and I had just read learned about trail running and now I had two more lightning bolts. There's this thing called a hundred, there's a hundred mile race. What? <laughs> and and I immediately knew I had to do that. And not only that, but there was a picture of a woman doing it. It's like that made it totally possible for me. I didn't have to like imagine. I I having her as that role model in that photo was life-changing. And so there were a lot of years in between. I trained up, I got graduated from college, got a job, trained up for a 50-mile race. My appendix burst uh like a month and a half before the race. And then I had to have a second surgery, emergency surgery for some scar tissue. And I just kind of set ultra running aside. And that aside turned out to be 10 years of a side. Um, and I did not get, I did not, between the time I first read about ultra running and the time I ran my first ultra was about 10 years. Um, so I hate for people to wait like I did. Um, there was always something better to do always, you know, someday, someday, someday. And, and I didn't have the internet back then either. So I didn't know I mean, it wasn't in front of me. I couldn't go find it. I certainly couldn't go find information about it. Not, Runner's World did not mention ultras. That was some weirdo thing. Some people did. Um, and there was this little tiny itty bitty block in the Southeastern running newspaper that had some ultras listed. And that's how I found out about the one I trained for and didn't, didn't get to go to. But um, I moved back eventually to Tennessee and happened to mention somehow in a New Year's Day run, happened to mention to somebody that I was interested in running ultras. And they said, oh, there's somebody in town that does that. I said, you're kidding. And they, I met him and we became fast friends and were running partners for years. Um, a really super good friend. And uh, he ran hard rock. He went out to Barkley and, and, uh, you know, so he really, he helped get me started. And it just, it was like the universe kept lining me up with this. <laughs> I was kind of meant, I always feel like I was meant to do it. And so that's how I got started. It's kind of a long journey and I wish I hadn't waited so long, but I'm glad I got there. So what was that first race that you did? Um, the first race I was training up for was called Mountain Masochist. It's in Virginia. Um, and it's a 50 miler. And I didn't, I had no earthly idea how to train for a 50 mile race, but I had run some marathons and I thought, well, you know, it can't be, it can't be any worse than twice that. So I can figure it out and I can at least try it and see how it works out and try it again. If that doesn't work out, I can figure it out one way or the other. And that was the one I did not do that for like, I think it took me like a year to, that's when my appendix burst. And um, mm -hmm. I think it took me like a year to get around a year and a half, maybe to get around to doing it again. So my first ultra was actually a uh, strolling gym, 40 mile race in mid Tennessee, which is one of Laz's races um, way yeah. back in the day, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. 
So, and you, you mentioned just now about that you had done some marathons and you kind of shot past that in the first part. Does that mean that those were not really a pleasant experience for you or did you like marathons at the time? It was way better. I did notice that as I increased my mileage, you know, remember I was not, I was far from a, from a star in high school. And I mean, people assume I was, people assume I ran college. No, uh, uh-uh, not at all. Um, I was average at best. But what I did find as I started doing races on my own, as races became more popular and 5Ks and 10Ks became more available, and I decided to try a marathon, I did find that the longer the distance, the better I did. And so that was one thing that really made me curious about ultras was if if it's I do better at a 10K than a 5K and a marathon than a 10K, well, then how much better can I do at an ultra? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, marathons were great. And I, I did a bunch of them. I, I've never counted, but um, I just got tired of new place, new face, going out and agonizing myself for a better time. It just was not. Yeah. There was, it was a better fit than high school running and 10Ks, but it wasn't home. It was, so I was on the right track. I just knew it wasn't my final destination. Yeah. I'm with you there. I know after I did, I did my first marathon in 2018 and Mm -hmm. the next 10 marathons I did were like working my butt off to try to beat my time from the previous one and put all the stress on myself. And Mm -hmm. every single time I would, you know, have, I would have a new lesson, you know, cramping, this overtraining, this and that. And, and it was, I, I didn't really have any joy in those races because I was putting so much pressure on myself. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean there. So yeah, my last, my last marathon was actually Kiowa Island and I went there for a fast time and, and it was on the coast and it was in, I think December maybe. So, you know, in theory it would be a nice vacation race. Um, And I distinctly, that was my last one, my last official one. (laughs) And I distinctly, I remember there are, Two, I only have two. I killed myself and I got a great time. I think I got my PR there. And that's when I decided no more. I just, I'm done. But I only, I'm in this beautiful place, Kiowa Island. And I only have two scenic memories, two, you know, snapshots in my head. The rest of the time I had just head down, pushing myself as hard as I could, not enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not as, my my best marathon memory is running a Big Sur in California, oh. and uh, I set a PR for pictures and that sucker. I took <laughs> I took my phone out and probably took a hundred photos, and uh, it was over five hours, well over five hours that it took me. But it was such a beautiful course that I mean, I cried a lot of the way just because I had never seen that coastline before. It yeah. Amazing. Well, that's how I ran UTMB. Everybody asks, I run UTMB a couple of times and everybody asks you, well, how was it? What was your time? And it was like, I ran photo pace, you all. I ran, <laughs> I was over there and I was going to get every minute I could out of that race. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, life has gotten so much better since I, you know, and I still have, have aspirations to Boston qualify one day, but I'm going to yeah. I'm going to wait till I get to be about 90, maybe. So the time will be better. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I love the uh, ultra 
vibe way much more, you know, and there are people in the ultra world that, you know, are very competitive too and and they run for time and I have no problem with that at all. But, but like you, I, I found my niche. It's, I seem to do better the longer distances, especially the jump from marathon to ultra has been like Mm -hmm. the biggest, you know, some, my biggest improvement sometimes like the last marathon I did was New York city back in November. And I, Mm -hmm. I actually hurt for the first 23 miles. I didn't start feeling good to like mile 23. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun marathon though. That's the last one I've done. Um, And I would do that one again, for sure. That one's fun. I was actually signed up this year and just couldn't fit it on my schedule and opted out. Yeah. Well, I was kind of disappointed this time because uh, they, I don't know if I'm in recovery, alcohol and drug addiction. And Mm -hmm. They've legalized marijuana in New York City. Or in I saw York. that. And, and so literally every borough, you can smell weed the whole time you're running. And so I didn't really enjoy that too much. But it was, I mean, it wasn't that bad. But, I mean, it was just kind of unpleasant. But other than that, you know, the crowds are amazing there. Yeah. And it's, I really love to, with the same with ultras, I love to explore on foot, you know, to to travel the five miles mm-hmm. and to go through these beautiful mountains and canyons and yeah. That's yeah. So, so how, so after strolling gym then, so how long did it take you to get to the hundred miler distance? Oh, I was just thinking about that. It took me, I think I ran, I need to look at my spreadsheet to get the right answer, but um, I think it took me two years. I think I did my first hundred in 1999. And that was Superior Trail. And it's it was, you know, that's the first ultra distance I read about. So that's what I had. I I knew it was there in the back of my mind the whole time. And I ran off, I ran a bunch of shorter ones. I live in the Southeast. And so I did the shorter ones that were available in the Southeast. And again, back in the day, there just weren't that many races in the Southeast. And, and I mean, all the hundreds, except for the few that were in the East, East of the Mississippi, like Massanutten and Old Dominion and and um, Vermont, all the rest of them were in Colorado and California. Yeah, and there were, you know, there were a few fifty k's around. The forty mile strolling gym was just an anomaly, and there were a f- couple of fifties here and there. There were definitely no hundred k's. Like I don't remember hundred k's anywhere in the country. Yeah. But um, I ran pretty much everything that was close and available that, quote unquote, everyone ran in the southeast, like Mountain Mist in Alabama. That's a 50K in January that kind of kicks off or used to kick off the southeast racing year. And um, gosh, I did a bunch of them. I, I ended up doing Mountain Masochist a couple times, the 50 miler. And um, I did Strolling Gym, I think, again. Um, before I decided I needed to get off pavement. <laughs> and I did a I did a bunch and a bunch of the smaller distances. And I thought, okay, I've got that down. I feel comfortable that I can go out and do, you know, 50K or a 50 miler. And um, and it just kind of like I think I had just done strolling gym in May. June, June. And I I had done a longer race in like June and I thought okay, if not now, when? And it was just one of those moments where like, I can't avoid this any longer. It's been in the back of my mind. I know it's there. I can piddle around at these smaller races the rest of my life, but I will know that that hundred mile distance is there. 
And I feel like I'm at a point where I'm ready to take the leap. It was definitely going to be a leap. Um, Take the leap going from 50 miles to 100. I mean, that's just what you had to do back then. And I thought, yeah, it's just... I knew I would have been lying to myself if I put it off. And I, I, my, <laughs> I had a talk with myself and I basically, so I picked up um, Ultra Running Magazine, which was my only source of information. And I looked around, looked at the schedule in the back and lo and behold, there was a hundred miler in September. And I thought, well, I can, I can train up for, I've got, that gave me like three months. And I thought, I can train up for that whatever that training looks like. I can, I think I can be ready for whatever in three months. And it was in Minnesota, Northern Minnesota, which I, I, I had been to and knew I loved. I, it was, it, I knew that area was beautiful. So it was like sold. That's it. And so I mailed in my check. <laughs> I remember mailing in my check and I got the confirmation that I was in and I didn't know a soul up there. I didn't know how to train. I didn't know... <laughs> I didn't know what the trail was like. I had no idea really what I was getting myself into. And I remember I took a crew. Um, the guy I was dating at the time and because it was a new distance and this was totally, there were just so many huge unknowns. It was kind of ridiculous. And, and I wish I could tell you about the headlamp I used. I mean, <laughs> it's like about as about as bright as a match. <laughs> and and then I had one for night that was like it, literally like one of those old miners headlamps that was just humongous. <laughs> I mean just uh, like a fireman's hat on your head. Um but I remember we lined up, I found the where the starting line was and I remember that race morning there were like I don't know 15 20 of us at the starting line in the in this road in northern Minnesota, and we're all standing there at the starting line. I'd gotten there, and I, I had, I had guessed at what you, I didn't, I had had to find out what a drop bag was and how you pack it, you know, what you put in it. So I had drop bags, I think, and I thought, okay, I'm ready. And and a severe thunderstorm started <laughs> as we're standing there on the line. I mean, like lightning, thunder, and I looked around, and nobody seemed bothered and I thought well okay if I die this is (laughs) this is how I'm gonna die and I I thought I'm willing to take my chance um and and we were off and and we people I was just trying to keep up with the other runners because I really didn't know I didn't even know enough to know to be concerned about navigation but I thought you know I can I can I think I can find my way and but I wanted to keep up with other runners because I wasn't used to like running a race on my own in the woods quite like that. It's yeah. such a new place. And, and they were just running like crazy over these rocks in the dark in this lightning storm. And I thought, no, I cannot believe I am here doing this. This is <laughs> not what I imagined for my life, <laughs> but it was, it was awesome. I actually yeah. finished yeah, and that was the superior, right? Superior, that was superior, yeah, superior one hundred, which is still people ask me what my favorites are, and I really kind of hate that question because there are so many good races I've done, yeah. but that's really my sentimental favorite, and I've been I've done it 20, 20 times now. Wow, 
so back so back that was 99 looks like mm-hmm. uh, did let's see you, you got a third place female um i i've actually been first place female a couple times in that race back you know there just I mean, weren't that the first one you the very first one it you got third place right female i i could have i really don't keep okay. track <laughs> okay I know I've been first place there once or twice because I have a very nice trophy or two. Um, And I was just thrilled, you know, especially for somebody whose high school coach told her not to bother trying out for the college team. I mean, that was thrilling. And I knew, I knew before I was even done with that race that I had found my home distance wise. I mean, I, there was just no doubt about it. I thought this I had loved adventures, reading about adventure as a kid. I read boys' adventure books growing up. (laughs) And this is like the combination of adventure and running and being in a beautiful place. And I just couldn't imagine it getting better. That's where I was kind of going with that when when I asked about podium on that is if you might have taken that trophy or medal back and shown it to him, your old coach. (laughs) No, he's... (laughs) That's not even worth the conversation. He wouldn't get it. And yeah. it, I just, I, I am satisfied that I um, have found my, found my distance home. It wasn't the fact that I wasn't a good runner, which is what I thought from his comment. I really did think I love running, but I thought I wasn't a good runner. It was just that I hadn't found my distance, my home. So that's, that was, that's, that's when I fell in love with the hundred mile distance. So the, uh, were you in a lot of pain that night, next day? (laughs) Um, I really, I have to, I have to say this. One of the things I wondered about when I was like trying to imagine without, and I didn't tell any of my running, I had like Tennessee was really Oak Ridge, where I lived was Oak, Oak Ridge was very odd for Tennessee because we had like eight eight or 10 ultra runners and there weren't any others in the state. Hmm. Um, And I did not tell any of my friends, my ultra friends who I trained with every week, I did not tell them I was going up there because I didn't want, (laughs) if I didn't finish or if it went really badly, I didn't want them to know, or I wanted to like be able to tell them. And before they found out, I don't, I didn't really have a plan for that, but I knew I wanted to just kind of go do it on my own quietly. And so I didn't really ask them. I'm not sure if any of them had done actually done a hundred yet either. But um, one of the things I was wondering was, <laughs> are my quads going to explode? What happens in a hundred mile race? And I that was an honestly like I you know kind of pondered that for a while. Uh, you know what happens? Does your body do you just keep pushing until your body explodes, or <laughs> what happens? I had no I I really had no idea. And I thought, well, okay, I'll just go see. And so I, I remember, here's another funny story. Um, I got to mile 80, every section I got, I thought, wow, I, I got further. They're letting me get further. I I've made it further. It wasn't about finishing. It was like, I've gotten a section further. I've gotten, you know, this 10 miles further. I'm just amazed. Um, and I remember getting about to mile 80 and I thought, okay, I can do 20 mile runs. Um, I'm pretty sure I can finish this race now. And it was kind of, it was kind of like, wow, I could actually finish this. And, and I remember (laughs) going through this section with pines, really tall pine trees. It was gorgeous. Um, And all of a sudden I started, I was walking 
And all of a sudden, it occurred to me like, oh my gosh, what if I'm walking too much? What if I'm supposed to be running? I don't know how to run 100 miles or what's what the rules are. What if I'm walking too much? What if I get to the end and they disqualify me because I walked too much? <laughs> and I really stressed about that for several miles. And then I thought, well, you know, if they do disqualify me because I walk too much, then then so be it. I'm doing the best I can. And I'll just come back and try. To, I'll just do better next time. And, I, you know, there's nothing I can do about it now. So, <laughs> so I did not know what to expect. And, and the after story, you asked if I hurt. Um, not my quads did not explode. Happy, happy ending to that story. Um, I was really stiff, but I wasn't, I didn't collapse or anything. It was, I was amazed my body handled it that well. And I probably made all kinds of errors on hydration. I did not, I probably didn't have electrolytes. I don't, I don't even remember. Um, but I thought, you know, that wasn't, I didn't die. And we all hung out afterwards. We finished at a high school. It, in the old days, it finished at the high, uh, high school. And we ran across the football field and finished at the field goal on the other side. And then we all sat down and had pizza and homebrew that one of the runners had made and we watched everybody else finish. And it was, it was so fun. It was just like, you know, a handful of us sitting around, I don't know, 10 of us sitting around watching everybody else finish. And I did that for a while and then went back to the hotel, took a, and I thought I'll get in the hot tub. That's what I'll do. I'll get in the hot tub. That's, I had no idea how to recover. And then the award ceremony was after that. I remember going to the award ceremony and one of my knees was swelling and really giving me a hard time. And we got, back to the hotel and it was bizarrely swollen and we the guy was with my boyfriend at the time said you know he said you might have a blood clot we we need to go get that checked out so we went to the emergency room in a small town in northern minnesota and as he was walking in the door they were wheeling a piece of equipment out um which turned out to be the the traveling x-ray machine and Mm -hmm. It had it had just while I was sitting out in the car waiting to see if I could get x-rayed for that, it was being packed into a car to head two hours down the shore to to a major city. And so we ended up having to follow it and it ruined, kind of ruined the vacation plans we had afterwards. But um, the good news was that my knee swelled up bizarrely for some reason, but no blood clot. And I know how to recover better these days. <laughs> So how long did it take you to sign up for number two after that? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure anybody's ever asked me that one. Um, and I can't even, I think the next one I did was Massanutten. Um, yeah. It did not take me too long. <laughs> I I was totally, I knew, like I said, I knew I'd found my home and I was totally in love. And I thought this is, this is, I want to do these. I remember thinking, I want to do these forever. Yeah. I just want these forever. And so I don't think it took me very long. Yeah, it took me about two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. That's probably about as long as it took me to find one to sign up for and to sign up for it. Which I was ready. I was ready after like three or four days. But yeah, I, I made up. I kept flip-flopping between because I really <laughs> want to do a trail one. Yeah. You know, I have big aspirations for Western States. So I really want to do mm-hmm. a Western States qualifying one. Right. Uh, you know, so many races, so little time. <laughs> oh, well, now back and back when I was doing them, I remember talking to a guy that became my friend in, in during Superior. I mean, I happened upon another 
there were miles and miles I was by myself because there just weren't that many of us. And I remember happening upon another runner. And so we chatted for a long time. Um, and um, he, his goal was to run all hundreds, all the hundreds there were, which was 33. And I thought, huh, that sounds, that sounds like fun. I think I'll do that. And of course, you know, some of them I looked at and thought, well, I don't, I don't want to run that. <laughs> And by the time I got around, you know, and then they, and then Dean Carnazzi's put his book out and then they mushroomed and, you know, it changed after that. Yeah. Well, I see you've done some pretty tough ones. So there's, I can't imagine in like, I know, uh, I seem like I saw Bighorn on there. That's a uh-huh. pretty tough one, right? Oh yeah. But beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I just talked to Andy Kroon Matthews a, a, a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me about that one, how it was like a 17 mile climb on that sucker yeah yeah that's that is the uh as far as the races i've done maybe tahoe is a kind of a competitor but um that one probably has the most false summits i've ever seen in my life it's kind of like you get to the top of you get to the what you think is the top and there's another one and there's another one and eventually you just like you just resign yourself to i may never get to the top of this climb (laughs) yeah yeah, and then you eventually got into a couple of you did you've done several uh what two or three two hundreds? Yeah, yeah, I've done three. Um right. I did Bigfoot was my first one, and then I did Moab twice, um, two forty. Um loved loved the new challenge. Um just the new tie. I mean, it's it's I just love the puzzle, figuring out the puzzle pieces um for each race and you know, the 200s just added enough new stuff to make it really fun. Like I have to figure out sleeping and lots of new things I get to figure out, which I, to me is just, like I said, great fun. So, so before we go, so, so now I know you are a coach. Now Mm -hmm. do you coach for the physical part too, or just the mental part? I really, um, I'm a certified running coach and as I'm a certified life coach first, and I also added certified running coach. I, I can make a training plan for somebody. It's just not my forte. And there are a ton of coaches out there that love doing that and do that perfectly well. Um, and there is so much on the mindset side that, um, I mean, if you there, so to answer your question before I diverge off, um, we do talk all the details about their training plan. I just don't give them a weekly, my clients, I don't give them a weekly training plan, but we talk, you know, should I do this for a long run? Should I do this? Should I add this to my, to my training routine? Should I add speed work? Should I add yoga? Um, If I can't do this long run, what should I do next weekend? Am I doing enough miles? Um, So we talk through what they're doing. And one of the things I, one of the goals in my coaching mindset coaching is I want, I help clients learn to trust themselves because ultimately ultra running is about your relationship with yourself. And I, it's, they, everybody's got what they need in them. They just have to learn to trust themselves to make their own decisions and to learn their body and learn, you know, that they know what they're doing. So um, I do, I do, we do talk about it, but I don't actually give them training plans. It's just not my forte. And there, like I said, there's so much on the mindset side and here's what the easiest way to think of it is anytime you use your mind 
or your thinking or your brain to do anything in ultra running, whether that is deciding on a training plan, whether that is deciding how to do a race, whether that is deciding whether to take an electrolyte capsule right now or wait an hour, whether that is trying to decide if you how you can get ahead of cutoff in the middle of a race, pre-race anxiety, any of that, anytime you're using your brain in an ultra, it is has to do with mindset. Yeah. So there is a ton there that um, to coach. There's no shortage. <laughs> so first hundred was in 99 and then you did another one about what, eight months later, it looks like. So where yeah. in your ultra running career, did you start seeing that? Did you start seeing in yourself one, how uh, the, that kind of training or mentality will help you be successful? And then, and then where did you see the need to, to share that with others and start doing that? That is that is probably the best story of all. It's the most meaningful one for me um, because I, like I said, I fell in immediate love with hundreds, knew I'd found my home. This is what I want to do. I want to do these forever. Literally, that's what I thought. Um, still think. And so I started doing them with my friends and we started going to races and we went to, I'd have to have my spreadsheet in front of me, but we we went to um, I started DNFing basically. And I think I've looked at it a couple different ways. And I think the way it shakes out is I was like DNFing for a period of a couple of years there. I was DNFing every other hundred I did. Um, I went out twice with my friends. We all went out to Leadville. We rented a house. It was so fun. Um, and I DNFed. And then we, a lot of them DNF too. And then we went back out to do it, to all do it again the next year. And I DNF'd the same exact way. So, and I DNF'd Umstead also. And anybody that's done Umstead, it's like flat, crushed gravel loops. Um, it is the most plush ultra like <laughs> you can almost imagine. And I DNF'd it twice before I finished it. And and it really hit me at Leadville. Umstead really put the icing on that mindset cake. But what happened at Leadville was that the first year, I it's Leadville's an out and back for anybody that doesn't know. And the out is um, you turn around at Winfield. You go over the big hill, big pass. You get to Winfield. You turn around. You come home. And I got out to Winfield and rolled into the aid station. And remember, this is early in my ultra career. And somebody, I was still young, 38, 39, 40. Um, and some, one of the volunteers looked at me in the eye and said, serious, with a serious look on their face, you have 15 minutes on cutoff. And I thought, I had never been close to cutoff before. I, if, and I thought, I was confused. I thought, how did that happen? I, I'm, I've been running well, um, just like I always do. What happened? And what do I do? <laughs> I didn't know. Um, what am I supposed to do was, was really the thought in my head, the question in my head. And I kind of looked around and everybody was very busy, very scurrying here and there. And it, there was kind of a general sense of panic. And I thought, I 
And I looked back up over Hope Pass and I thought, there's just no way I'm going to get, if I'm 15 minutes on cutoff and I've got to go back up over this big giant pass, I'm just going to end up timing out. And so I said, I, I'm, I'm dropping and I dropped and it felt awful. And not only did it feel awful, but the stupid ride home in the car took probably longer than it would have taken to run home. Mm. Um, because that is just a long drive. Um, and, and I was really, sh- it shook me up. And, and then there were the, the two, the Umstead when it was in there either before or after. And, but I had paid a lot of money. I had trained hard. I had trained with my friends. I mean, I had, it just shook me up. And I came back the next year. I had trained harder. I was sure I knew what I was doing. I had it. I was not going to make that mistake again. And the same exact thing happened. Another volunteer looked me in the eye at the same aid station and said, you had 15 minutes on cutoff. And I folded because the weather was actually worse this time up on Hope Pass. It was, there was like a big lightning storm, hail storm up there. And I thought, I'm, I'm not pounding my way up that pass, getting caught in that storm, and then just timing out at the next aid station. No, I'm not doing that. I mean, I just kind of, I gave up on myself. And I knew in the moment I was giving up on myself and it felt awful. And I remember the car ride out of that aid station. I remember watching runners coming. We drive down the road and there's a there's a brief bit of distance where you share the road. The cars share the road with the runners coming up into the aid station. And I remember seeing runners coming into the aid station and heading back out. And here I am in the car and my legs are not killing me. It had nothing to do with my body. And I knew it had nothing to do with my body. And I knew I had given up on myself and I didn't understand why. And and once that happened to me, I went back, thankfully, and finished that race <laughs> the next year and never went back. But um, I had two DNFs at Leadville. I had two at, Le- at Umstead. I had one at Massanutten that was totally preventable. And in all of those, I, I made I, a, flip, a switch flipped and I said, that's it. I'm figuring this out and because I had been watching myself and I'd been watching a lot of other run. Once I started paying attention and thinking, what on earth is going on? I started watching all kinds of other runners sitting in aid stations, giving up on themselves and talented runners, runners who I knew were capable and and who were not in any physical distress and not they physically they could have finished just like me and we had all given up and I knew it but I didn't know how to fix it and I thought I I am not and I watched runners quit the sport too and I thought that is not going to be me I have just found 100 milers I want to do this forever I I am not that is not going to happen to me I'm going to figure this out and I went off to figure it out and I found it was really woo-woo weird at the time, um, extremely unconventional. Um, nobody, I didn't really tell a bunch of people about it because um, nobody got how it applied. Nobody got it, life coaching, and nobody got how it applied. Certainly, life coaches didn't even understand how it applied to ultra running. I did. Um, and so I just started working on applying it to my own running, and I figured it out and solved it so that I could stay in ultra running and do the thing I loved. And that was how I got into mindset coaching. Yeah. So is it a 
is it mental toughness that you're teaching in the mind in the life coaching? Is that part well, of it? it? Is that just a small part of it? It's just a small part of it. Um, like I said, there's the mental toughness you need for training and racing is is a thing you can get out of it. Um, it's something you can build, just like confidence. Um, but it's it's really the how of doing of doing that. Um, and there's a lot, there are so many other moving parts, like, um, all the things you worry about leading up to a race, mm -hmm. uh, you know, are, like I said, people choosing race plans, uh, race training plans. Am I choosing the right one? Am I, and just fears about not finishing fears about the unknown fears about night running, um, anxiety, worry, and, and it, a lot of it comes down to building belief in yourself. And because you cannot, one thing I've really learned is that you cannot achieve something that you can't see yourself doing. You have to, you have to be able to envision yourself and believe in yourself enough to imagine yourself doing it to actually do it. If you don't think you can do it, then you're not going to. And then there's all the self-sabotage stuff. People that do make it to the 100 mile finish line um, then have a kind of a follow-on problem with with success you know how they it's easy for them to believe that they don't deserve it they're a fraud um and and so there's there's all kinds of mindset stuff we could talk about but there's like something there's something um called an upper limit that you know if you think your limit you've exceeded your upper limit somehow and finished a hundred mile race, then your natural tendency, unconscious tendency is to go back down to your under that upper limit to where you're more comfortable. And, you know, that's one reason that we DNF big races. So it's a lot of what I, a lot of what I do revolves around self image and how you see yourself, not just building mental, the mental toughness you need to get to a race. It's more holistic and, and bigger than that. If okay. that helps answer your question. Definitely. So I can, you know, and, and so that kind of explains. And so that started happened pretty early on for you then right there. Uh, mm -hmm. After uh, you've completed Leadville, that's when you started kind of realizing that you had the power to, to make that change in yourself. Yeah. Because it looks like nothing scared you after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, plenty of stuff scared me or intimidated me is probably the better word. Um, but I knew how to manage my mind. You know, that's, that's the manage my mind. It's, you know, a lot of it's about managing mind and emotions. Yeah. Cool. So now I don't see Western States on this list. Have you not done Western States? I have not. <laughs> is, it, first, is it a lottery first, reason or is there other reason? It's really weird because that's the first one I ever read about in that newsstand back in the 1980s. Right. Um, and I have, oddly enough, never felt the pull to actually go do it. Oh, that yeah. One. Yeah, I have. And I check with myself. It's like, do I feel like doing, do I feel like putting in for the lottery? No, not really. Um, you know, so I could sign up for it, but I would be signing up for it because I should. And that's just not, mm. just not what I'm interested in. And I've never done hard rock. Um, hard rock's kind of kind of in the same territory i'm much more tempted by hard rock but i just the, the lottery annoyed me early on and i <laughs> got stubborn about 
oh, I don't want to put in for another year for the lottery. And now, of course, it's like almost impossible to get into. I should have. It's like buying something on sale when you first saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so I don't I didn't even put in for I just kind of quit putting in for lottery. And really, one of the things that I wanted to I have always wanted to do in ultra running was travel um, overseas and do yeah. races overseas. And so that's kind of more interesting to me than doing the races that you know you should quote unquote should do. Yeah, but you do have UTMB, and that's one of those you get. You you did that more than once, right? Yeah, I was actually over there three times. Um, three times, three times. Um, I think one of those times was the year it got canceled, and the year it, the year um the brouhaha year that was a just a disaster on their part very i'm just gonna say badly mismanaged it that's when the americans started paying attention to it because i think there was an american in the race a top american in the race that year or that's it made news and uh, i had been the guy i went with my the guy who was dating at the time that i went with um we were like about the only two americans over there in the race for those first two years i did it year or two um and and if we didn't say anything and we didn't open our mouths we could just kind of blend in <laughs> so that was that was kind of fun but i've i've finished that one i think twice i lose track but i finished that one at least twice um and just like i said people i want to know how fast you know that is that is oh, that is dream running territory for me and that is not something i'm going to rush through so i'm definitely i'm like you i'm going camera pace on that one yeah yeah, that's me. If I get into that, that would be, I mean, I love that kind of stuff. You know, I, same with Bighorn and I did, mm-hmm. I did uh, what's it called? Uh, Bryce Canyon. Ah. I did the 60K last year and this mm-hmm. it's beautiful scenery. Yeah. Yeah. Best way to see the world. Yep. So do you have the total on the number of 100 milers that you've completed? I do. It's 138 as of wow. Daytona. And, um, and I think I don't really keep track of the number. I don't keep as well good a track of like the other ultras I've done. I I did look at it the other day for some reason, and I think I'm up to like 300 ultras total, 300 plus. I can't remember really um, because I decided several years ago, I decided you know, if I love hundreds this much, why am I wasting my race weekends running a 50K just because it's local? Mm-hmm. I would much rather spend my race weekend running a hundred somewhere than running a 50K just because it's convenient to get to. And so I just, I just, I made that decision to prioritize hundreds because it's just my favorite distance and I love it. And so that's how people ask me, people think that it's all about the number and it's not even close to about that. I use the number to show people what's possible and to kind of, you know, give them a sense of my experience base, of course, but it never, it still isn't about the number. The number is just kind of fun. Um, it's, it's about my what my quality of life and what I'm spending my life doing. And that's what I want to spend my life doing. 50Ks are fine when that's the only thing around or when I got a you know a good reason to go to one. Um, but I would much rather spend, like I said, my race weekend at 100. And that's just how I ended up with all those hundreds. And I see people now trying to get to the 
hundred hundreds number to have the number. And it kind of makes me feel a little sad because I'm doing it for quality of life reasons. It's just what I love to do. And I prioritized what I love to do. Um, and I talked to some people who are kind of miserable about getting to that number have made themselves miserable on the way to getting that number and um, thinking that it's about the number. And that's why I talk to people about, um, you know, defining what they want to get out of ultra running. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever you want, whatever your measure of success is. Yeah. So I see like in 28, 2019, I mean, you had, uh, you were, you had a stretch there where you did like every two weeks, you knocked out a hundred for in the fall. Yeah. Are you still able to recover that quickly? Yeah, I can. Um, I've had a lot of practice and I've learned. I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, again, it's not necessarily a body thing. It's that mindset. I have learned how to, I've paid attention to what works, what doesn't work, what I'd like to do differently about recovery, what works for me. I've tried things, I've experimented, um, and I've learned how my recovery process works. And there was a time at 2019, what was it? It was earlier 2017, maybe where I, I thought um, I just had the time and the resources to do three in a row. And I thought, Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> let's see how that, let's see what that's like. And it was, I can't remember. It was Havelina tunnel Hill. And there was one before that I can't, or after that, Maybe it was no business. I can't remember which which of which was the other one, but um, there were three weekends, consecutive weekends, and I distinctly remember after getting done with a third one, thinking, "Oh, well, why didn't I line up a fourth one? <laughs> what? I don't want to go home." <laughs> it was just, it was so kind of a letdown to go home, but it was, that was fun to do the three in a row like that. And to answer your question, it's really now a matter of um, just time and resources. I've got an older dog and I don't feel good about leaving him more than kind of, you know, for one race a month seems to be um, it's, I, I, that's how, how comfortable that's how often I feel comfortable leaving him is one one weekend a month and um, I'm coaching I'm spending a lot of time coaching and I've got to got to coach my clients and and um, I'm coming up with a um, some exciting new stuff for this new year and so I've been doing a lot of work you know behind the scenes for that and that requires just being home so um, and my dog like uh, my dog had two bouts of Giardia this summer. So people, I had a wreck back in May going to a race that I honestly should not have lived through. And I walked out of the emergency room and it was Massanutten weekend and I missed Massanutten. I missed running the race, but um, people assumed that I took the summer off from racing because of that. And it was really to take care of the dog who had two bouts of Giardia. And that was a lot of effort. <laughs> That's poor guy, but he came out of it. Yeah, I've got an older cat and we have the same issues. I've got to cut back on my trips. I'm either uh, running or or volunteering at a lot of races, and uh, he's getting tired of that mess. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So it's it's a it's a fine trade off, and I made the decision. So 
that's perfectly fine. So one thing that I remember when I first started following you on Facebook, it's been almost a year or maybe or maybe a little over a year because I had just registered for Daytona as my first mm-hmm. hundred, like right after it, you know, it opened up and it just opened up, you know, like two mm-hmm. last week or so for next year. So it was yeah. mid-December-ish. So anyway, and, you know, Daytona is not the hardest hundred miler out there, uh, you know, because it's pavement, it's not as scary, you know, it's about being in the woods overnight and things like that. And so, but that wasn't the reason that I chose it. I chose it because my friend, uh, Louis Coco had posted a video of his race last year. Yeah. And uh, it just fired me up because I love the coastal view, you know, A1A and I love that. And I have a lot of friends in that area, and so yeah. I wanted to experience that trip down A1A. But you said something on Facebook like, don't choose your first 100-miler because it's easy. You know, you'll cheat yourself or something to that effect. Do you remember making that post? Oh, yeah. That's one of my um, – and I put out a blog post every every week um, on Wednesdays. There's going to be one tomorrow. And that's been one of the most popular ones I've ever written. There are – uh, I was gonna. I was gonna call you on <laughs> when you said Daytona is not the easiest one out there. A, they're all a hundred miles. There is right. no. There, there, are no all, there are no easy ones. It's just where the difficulty is going to be. And for me, Daytona was like, holy moly, this is a lot of concrete. How am I going to manage this? Um, it's a totally different. It's not managing mountain climbs, but I still have to figure out a way to manage this and get to the finish line in good shape. And that took some doing. Oh, it's a beautiful course. I, I thought that was so fun. I crewed it the year before, two years ago. Um, and so that's kind of how I got the idea of, I'd, I'd kind of like to run this. This looks like fun. Um, but there is no, they're all 100 miles, and it's just where the difficulty lies. And um, and that is the point you brought up was one of the blog posts um, points was that even if you sign up for one that is super, super easy and looks like it's going to take the least effort, um, you're kind of cheating yourself in the long run because you finish, and I've seen people do this, you finish that 100 and you say, yay, I've done 100. And, and then you don't feel confident about going out to do another one. It's not like you feel confident going out to do Western States because it's it was not you just worry it does not solve the problem in your mind the self-confidence problem in your mind you're still going to worry about your your ability and so people ooh and awe ah and say you know your first hundred was superior isn't that a tough one I, well yeah but that's not why i did it it's i did it because it was the right time of year and it was i knew it was pretty and all of that um but the one thing that one thing that did give me is when I crossed that finish line, I thought, okay, I can pretty much handle anything else after that. Um, and that was a good feeling. So it was just what I put in that blog post was just a caution that you think you want to do the easiest one humanly possible to guarantee a finish. And it's just check that, check that thinking and make sure that that's what you want to do because um I've, like I said, I've seen a lot of people cross that easy, quote unquote, easy 100 mile finish line and then still have all the self-doubt that they thought crossing the finish line would erase for them. Yeah. 
Well, I'm definitely inspired by that. I want to, Andy kind of scared me away from Bighorn because I had that on my radar, but I'm already committed for another race in June. Yeah, yeah. So it won't be this year, but uh, I definitely, uh, you know, and Havelina is is kind of a trail, but it's not super, uh, it's not a lot of elevation and it's not mountain climbing. No, but it is hard. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is hard. Don't underestimate that thing. It's got, like I said, it's got, it's a hundred miles. It's got its own heart in there. Right. And I plan, you know, I plan, like you, you have said so perfectly, I, I plan on preparing the mind and the body for that. Yeah. That's one thing, you know, I feel like that is my forte. I, I'm not going to be the fastest. I will probably mm-hmm. never Boston qualify you know, because I have other things that are more important to me. You know, I would much rather run a 50 miler in the mountains than yeah. train for a Boston marathon to Boston qualify. Right. And so, but yeah, I want to, I, I have the belief that if I train and, you know, and I have mountains that are dry, I live in Macon, Georgia, so I can drive an hour and uh, be in some mm-hmm. area where I can train in the mountains to give me the confidence to go and run. Mm-hmm. Any, although those, you know, the mountains are bigger out West but uh, I believe I could train for them here. You know, my friend, I don't know. Do you know Chris Twiggs? Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, I, re- I talked to him while you were behind me at the beginning of Daytona um, for a little while. I ran into him at uh, Mickler's, and I know him from the runner I was crewing the year before is friends with him, so I would met okay. him. But, yeah, you know, so he's he's done Hard Rock 16 times, and he lives right. in, he lives in uh, northeast North, yeah, Northeast Florida with uh, no mm-hmm. good. <laughs> so yeah. you can do it. You can train for it. Yeah. And again, um, you know, and this is thinking and this is mindset. Don't knock our Eastern mountains there. I have seen more than one Western runner come East and be totally shocked and defeated yeah. by our Eastern mountains, even though they're not as tall. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Uh, Georgia Jewel was uh, last uh-huh. Last year, the, the 50, and I DNF the 50 because I fell and hurt myself in the rock garden. Oh, I know that rock garden well. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to get back for some redemption for that. And uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking about doing the 50, but I was because I was a little scared of the 100. But uh, why not? Why not go for it? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and uh, of course, a lot of what I spend time on in mindset coaching talking about is DNFs and just the concept of failure. And, um, and there are so many parts of that, but you know, it, you can look at a race as an experiment, you know, just go out and experiment, see how the hundred goes. That's kind of the way I started. So with all the races you've done and you've probably got relationships with practically every one of the race directors of your regulars. So you, you, you're not in a position where you want to name any favorites, right? (laughs) <laughs> I it, it's it's really not so much the race directors, although I do think of them because I appreciate them all. I've been a race director and I know how much work that is. Um, it's really more like having to pick your favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when I get that when I get the question about which is your favorite, I I just kind of defer to Superior Trail because it was it's a sentimental favorite. It was my first one. Yeah. And it's the one I have run the most. I've I've finished it 20 times. I've got 18 finishes at Massanut, and it should have been 19 last year, but um, I'm just glad to be survived the wreck. Um, 
that I had on the way there. And so, so I divided up into U.S. and foreign ones, overseas ones. And the one, my favorite in the U.S. is Superior, just be, mainly because it's, it is to die for gorgeous. Um, it is a great supported race. It's, and it's a sentimental favorite. So there's no other race is really going to beat that sentimental favorite card. And yeah. overseas, I've done several overseas and I would not even begin to pick. My, they're all favorites. I mean, I have I've run in England, one in England, Scotland, uh, UTMB, of course. Um, and so and hopefully do more. And I would not want to pick a favorite out of all of those. They're all fabulous. So in the the one, the two, Massanutin and and Superior, are you the runner with the most finishes of those races by chance? Um, not at Massanutin, although I am the female. Okay. By far with the most finishes. Um, I will say that. And there's only a couple guys ahead of me. Um, three, three or four guys. I forget how many. I think three. The Gary and and um I'm not gonna pull up the name, but uh the Nipplings um are ahead of me, I think. Um, but anyway, it's superior. Um, I'm tied with with Stuart Johnson, my good friend Stuart Johnson. Uh, for the most finishes. And uh, he is not running the race as of this past year. He is, I don't think, going to be running the race anymore. So if I finish this year, I will I will have the most finishes there. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, now, as far as overall hundreds, you've got to be up there pretty close to the, are you in the top 10 of that? Um, I don't, I don't know. Davy Crockett keeps way more he's mm-hmm. way more interested in keeping track of those numbers than I am. Um, I know that there's very few of us at, at this number, 138. Um, I don't keep track of anybody else's numbers. And frankly, the um, I cringe when he calls it a club. Cause again, that makes people think that it's a, it's a numbers thing. And, chicken off races and it's not right. And, and running races, they don't want just to get the numbers up and I don't want to see people do that, spend their ultra career doing that. But also when you, when you talk to your kind of your compatriots, you know who they are. I mean, Mike Smith has way more than I do. He's got like almost 200 hundreds, totally under the radar. Um, Awesome. Awesome person. Um, And if you talk to us all who are in that vicinity of having a a bunch of hundreds, we tend to count them differently. I mean, I know runners who count treadmill challenge, 100 mile personal, 100 mile treadmill challenges as 100 milers. Um, I know runners who count their 200 mile races as two 100s, which I don't do. They have their, for me, they have their own category. Um, I have, I know runners who count their, if they signed up for a 48 hour race and they got 100 miles in a 48 hour race. They count that as a hundred miler, which I would not. And and so there's no standardization to this club whatsoever. Yeah. So um, that's one important thing to remember. I like doing race races, hundred mile races. Um, I really like doing them on trails mostly. Um, so that's just my thing. That's, you know, and I, I keep my two hundreds in a separate category, <laughs> 
And um, it's funny. I laugh with like John Taylor and I finish our hundredth hundred at the same time. And we, we jokingly go back and forth about like, I like John, you can't count your two hundreds as two one hundreds. That's cheating. (laughs) (laughs) And he finally, he finally, I don't know. He sent me a message last year. He said, okay, okay. I'll count them in their own category. (laughs) So we just, we kind of get a laugh out of it. Um, you know, the, the guys that are friends of mine doing that in that same vicinity and I, but that's, I think that's important for, for people to remember people from the outside remembers that everybody's counting uh, apples, oranges, pears, uh, dogs, and cats. (laughs) Um, And every, everybody's counting things a little bit differently. And so, you know, that's part of the number is what they're counting. Yeah. Do you know who Bill Schultz is? Bill, say his last name again. Schultz. He's got a 24-hour race in uh, Philadelphia that he is the race director for. I think it's called I, 3D or something like that. D3. D3. I do not. And and I tend not to, like, I love 100-mile races. Um, I have a bunch of friends who love the fixed-time races, and that's their thing, which I think is very cool that we all have our own like thing and ultra running. There's a plate, there's a home for everybody in ultra running, but I tend not to do a ton of those. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know him. Yeah, it's not important. I was just gonna say he he was uh he's an old school mentality and he 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 does the uh track, you know, it's a track 24 hour race. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different uh, community almost. But yes, he, yes. he's of the mindset that that you shouldn't even say that you've done a marathon if you can't beat four hours, and you shouldn't say you've done a hundred miler if you can't beat twenty four hours. So even so, he's done a lot of a hundred milers on tracks, like in track races, but mm-hmm. he, but he only counts the ones that he did it in under twenty four hours or something like that. That's- yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent case in point. I hadn't heard about him, but that's an excellent case in point of how we are all, there is no club. We are all counting these differently, you know? And so when you hear that number, you have to, you have to also hear what the runner is choosing to count or not. And he sounds like he's doing it the same way I am. I'm counting so that I feel in a way that makes me feel happy about it. Um, yeah. Not for, not for somebody else's uh, approval. Yeah. So now with all these races under your belt, you would I would think that these vendors would be just beating down your door for endorsement. <laughs> Do you have many products that you recommend, uh, like your favorite sh- uh, trail shoes or favorite products that you like? Um, I do not. And actually, that's that's so funny because that's in the blog post part. That's a little bit in the blog post. It's going to be issued tomorrow. But um, <laughs> but I. I do not have people beating down my door. I think there's enough uh, from what I have watched over the years. There's enough people clamoring to be chosen, to be sponsored runners, to apply. First of all, you need to, for to be a sponsored runner, you often need to apply. Um, and there's a ton of runners that just want to be, that want the label of at least being a brand ambassador. Right. And um, so there's plenty of people out there interested in applying for sponsorships, plenty of people out there who want to be brand ambassadors for something, this, that, or the other. Um, and so there's no shortage of those people. And I did try, I thought, well, I can't, I can't knock it or say anything about it unless I try it. So I, I did sign up to be, I was asked um, to be a sponsored runner, asked to be on a team. So I did that for a year. I thought, well, I'll try it and see what it's like. Um, 
you know, try it. Why not? And it was writing about this in the blog post. It really changed the, the moment I said yes, it changed the way I looked at my running that year, my races. And I'm, I'm because I'm a mindset coach, I spent a lot of time watching my reactions and my thinking and my thoughts. Um, and I just noticed that it immediately put pressure on me to, I felt pressure to perform. I had to, I had to supply them with like blog posts and things like that and, and photos from races. And it's like, well, how am I going to do that in the midst of all the other stuff I'm doing? And I had to wear a uniform, which I did not like. (laughs) I didn't like the color scheme. Um, And I was, I kind of didn't fit in. I was, I was really honored they asked. And it was the one, it was a group I would have, I was happy to be associated with, but Mm. it just, it put an extra weight on my running that I, that I didn't realize it was going to put on it. And it, it made me prioritize their goals over my goals for the year. And that I did not enjoy at all. Um, and so I thought, well, I've tried it for a year, done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I there's plenty of products I, I use, but I'm always experimenting and trying new ones um, just just because I'm always learning about mindset. I'm always learning about everything. And um, and nobody's actually beaten down the door, which is great. And it would be <laughs> it would just be a literally uh, I like to keep my coaching separate. Um, it yeah. does not. It's just not going to serve me. It's not going to serve my clients in any. It's not useful, and it's a just a kind of a distraction more than anything. So, have you tried the carbon plate thing at all? I have not. Okay. Just curious. <laughs> have you? you had have an you? opinion? Oh yeah, in the, in the marathon, uh, I actually wore some in, at Daytona. Oh, and what do you think? Well, I mean, I I have run a bunch of marathons with them, and they definitely. Hell, the Nike version and a, a Saucony, Saucony, however you pronounce it, they mm-hmm. both definitely help in the uh, reducing wear and tear on your lower body, you know, compared to the other shoes for me. And well, that's good to know. And the, I, I believe in the return, uh, the increase in return that they give. You know what I mean? I, I can't mm-hmm. really, I can't really give you races that I can say that. I was 4% faster than the year before when I, you know, wore a different, a, a different shoe, but I definitely feel like it, you know, when I do speed work and when I do uh, runs races that mm-hmm. I'm trying, trying to run faster, it, it definitely feels like they are, are better. And, you know, it, it might just be a mental thing to be a crutch, but it definitely on the, on the, the cushioning and you can get shoes, you know, that are very lightweight and cushioning that don't have the, the carbon plate. And they would probably still provide that, that mm-hmm. you know, the help with not hurting your lower body as much, but I haven't, I haven't run the only really like the Nike version. Uh, they weigh like compared to a regular road shoe. Like I wear Brooks glycerin you mm-hmm. know, a lot for road and they weigh about, uh, 10 ounces and the mm-hmm. Nike shoe is like six ounces. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and the cushion is about another, you know, it's about 10, 12 millimeters thicker and softer than the Brooks. So when yeah. you're pounding a lot of pavement, that makes a little difference, you know? Yeah. Well, now I'll have to seek one out that I want to try and try one. 
Um, and you know, if if you if your impression is that it helps you, then nothing wrong with that. You don't have yeah. to justify that to anybody. Mindset wise, you don't have to justify that to anybody. Right. It, use it. Now they have some available in trail shoes now. Sakoni so, so mm-hmm. makes one, and I and Kraft makes one. Uh, I'm not not sure if any of the other. I don't think Nike has one yet, but I haven't. I know, uh, Hoka does too, but I haven't. Yeah. I haven't tried any of those yet. So, but well, I, I love shoes, and so I have about twelve <laughs> pair in my rotation of all different of Nike, Hoka's, Brooks. Uh, Sacconi, and so so I love them. Uh, I love rotating. I love. I needed to hear that. Thank you. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> Do you rotate too between a bunch? I just have a ton of shoes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I already thought we were kind of spirit animals, although I'm not a uh, finisher <laughs> like you, but I hope to be like that. I've got. I've only got two. You are uh, only two years older than me, so I've only got two years hey. to catch up. But better step it up. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I don't want to close out before we, you know, you, you talked about your coaching, but you are mm-hmm. available for clients or are you full up? I am actually um, available for clients. I had a couple, I've had a couple finish, you know, it kind of, I, I can only take so many at one time. I do still have a day job, um, but um, I can only, I have a limit because I want to be able to serve them to my best ability. And I've had, I just had a couple roll off the books. Um, right about the end of the year and one that will be rolling off the books like next week. Um, so I actually have a couple of openings right now. It's a little bit, um, it's, I, so there are some openings and I have a couple of consult calls scheduled. So there's always people interested. There's always, you know, um, people looking to fill those spots, but, um, yeah, if people are interested. I did keep a wait list for a while. Um, because I had more demand than I had spots. And I've learned um, that that does not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily work well. So if you're interested in a spot, hey, if you're interested in a spot, um, I have my, you can sign up for a consult call with me. It's super easy. There, there's nothing formal. It's we just talk through coaching so that we're not texting about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've talked through how it would work for you in your specific circumstances, which is impossible to text about or email about. So we just talk it through. It doesn't, it's a simple phone call, very informal, no pressure. And it, so if you're interested in it at all, sign up for a console call. If we decide not to work, to, if you decide it's not the right time, or you decide not to work free with me, totally okay. We have, but we've actually talked it through and you have more information. Um, and so if you're interested, if anybody out there is interested, um, yeah, sign up for a console call. Let's talk. Um, again, I've got a couple openings right now. I always pretty much have an opening here or there, and I just don't keep a wait list because, um, people get distracted with other things. And so it's pretty much first come first serve when you're interested, sign up. So, so. It's best to contact you through a website or, or what? I've got a, I've got a website. It's Susan middle. It's, this is all one word, Susan. I like it as in Italy, um, Donnelly, all one word, and dot com. And there's a link to sign up on there. And I'm also on Instagram. There's a link in my bio to sign up. And I'm also I have a business page on Facebook. And there's a link in, in my header to sign up for my consult call there. So okay. pretty I'll easy look, to find. 
I'll put those links in my show notes, too. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, it's been a real honor. I could, you know, I could sit here for two more hours and talk about races and have you give recaps of races because I want to do every single one on your uh, list here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. The stories. Oh, the stories over the years. Like I am one of the things I have to laugh about is that as many hundreds as I've done, and this just cracks me up, um, there's always something new. (laughs) It just, and I'm always, it's like, okay, I'm standing at the starting line, like Daytona, I'm standing at the starting line, like, what's the new thing going to be here? Because there's always something new. And I, if there were several new things at Daytona, um, I had to figure out the whole crew thing. That was something new for me, for sure. But um, all that concrete, figuring out a way to manage all that concrete um, and do that. There was, there was just a bunch of new stuff at that race, which was a boatload of fun. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot of stories and things that you just, nobody would believe. <laughs> well, I'd, like, I'd like to talk to you again sometimes and, and just talk race stories then. How about yeah. That? Yeah. We could, we could definitely spend some miles talking, swapping stories for sure. Well, what's, so what's next for you? Um, what is next is long haul in Florida. My oh, yeah. January, my January survival, go south and get some sun and warm race. Um, okay. Wow. What an amazing lady. Pardon the abrupt ending there. Lightning struck right outside my back window and knocked my internet out. So we had to end a little prematurely, but we were definitely wrapping it up. You know, one thing that stands out from this conversation and it's a common thing with people that I've talked to that have run a bunch of races is that it's not about a numbers thing with them. It's the fact that it's a quality of life more than trying to accumulate a bunch of finishes. I love that and say a huge amen. At the time of this recording, I'm preparing to head down to long haul and just try to find some people to help them achieve their goals and just to see what else I can do to soak in and enjoy the ultra running community. In the next week or so, I should be coming out with a Sand Ridge New Year's Day race recap, and also still have a New York City Marathon episode coming at you, uh, just as soon as I can connect with a few more people that I ran the race with. I want to sincerely thank you for running your miles with Marty today. I know there's a lot of choices out there, and it means a lot to me that you chose to run or ride with me. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, give us a review. Hit that subscribe button and spread the word, just like that running community love. We're on social media at Miles with Marty Podcast, and you can email us at mileswithmartypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Squirrels Nut Butter. Spread the lube at squirrelsnutbutter.com. 